Welcome, uh, Wellspring Church. Uh, you're still in your PJs, aren't you? Uh, that's all right. My daughter's been in her PJs uh, since uh, about, uh, well, she's still in there for about 48 hours. Uh, Nadal won uh, a record-breaking 21st Grand Slam uh, if you're into tennis. Uh, Tom Brady might be retiring. He might not be retiring. The world is falling apart. Snowmageddon. I, I give up. I just, I, I think I give up. Uh, but uh, in any regards, uh, we were going to have church. We weren't going to have church. We were going to have church. We weren't going to have church. Uh, but we're here online, and we're going to make the boat most of it. If there's anything we've learned over the last two years, it's just handle with what's before you the best way you can, and then just move forward. Just keep on keeping on. And uh, so some things that you need to know before we go into this experience is uh, Night of Worship is on uh, November 12th. It's a Saturday. There's baptism connected to that, child dedication potentially connected to that. Uh, so watch your email, watch your social media. Uh, we also are going to be 10 a.m. next week. We're going to be doing one service in the morning uh, and then one service in the evening in Bayville with Pizza Church. So two on a Sunday, but just one morning, one evening. Uh, but keep watching social media uh, because we're going to be continuing to watch what is before us and trying to make sure that we are as safe as, as possible. There's a CKA coming up with journeys, uh, collecting some stuff to help uh, those, uh, those in need. Uh, and so... All that to say is especially important in today's world is that you are watching your social media. Hopefully you're not now tuning in because you came to the church only to find out that, hey, we're not, we're not doing this thing. Uh, so anyways, watch your email, watch your social medias uh, and, uh, and whatnot. So let me pray and we're going to jump into it. God, Lord, I thank you that we have this ability. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that uh, despite uh, a driveway and a parking lot, not being done the way that we had hoped, Lord, that uh, Graham and his wife could safely make it in here, and uh, Lord, that we're able to do this, uh, to provide this. Um, Father, I pray that you will use this time. Um, Father, as I prayed with my wife this morning, um, I am humbled that I get to talk about what a great sinner that I am today. <laughs> uh, but I get to talk about it in light of what a great Savior I have. So, Father, thank you that you use sinners for your purposes. <laughs> your amazing grace. Uh, in your name, amen. All right, so uh, we are in the middle of this series on, uh, on success. So we looked at this verse uh, that said uh, in Proverbs 3 uh, that says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness uh, forsake you. Bind them around your neck, talking about commitment, as we said, uh, and write them on the tablet of your heart, the core of your being, uh, so that you may find good favor and success with God uh, and man. Uh, and so we, we looked at this verse because a while ago, uh, I felt like a complete failure in all areas of my life, but I was like, man, like, does God see me as a failure or am I using uh, metrics from the world to look at myself as a failure when maybe God uses other metrics and maybe, maybe God's definition of success is different than the world's definition of success. And if it is different, then do I feel like a failure when God doesn't see me as a failure? It was like, ah, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and so uh, this, this, uh, this definition of success kind of prompted inside of me, which I'm sharing with you all, uh, is that biblical success is when 
God's ways and God's heart become my heart and my ways. When, when all that is God and all that is his making, all that is his nature uh, becomes me. Like his ways and his heart are like my ways and my heart. Like when, when there's a merger there, then we're, then we're living a successful life. Uh, but, but here's the truth of it. Like here's the, here's the struggle is that this side of heaven... That will never fully happen. <laughs> this side of heaven, uh, we will always experience failure. And so the question has to become like, like, what's the cry of your heart when you have failed? What's the cry of your heart when, when you, like the rest of humanity, does not fully live up to this definition of success or to live this successful life uh, as God would define it. And David experienced this, and David wrote in Psalm 51, he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out, your trans, uh, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Like, have you been there? Like, have you been there? Are you there? Perhaps, perhaps you're not watching this because of the snow. Perhaps, perhaps you're not watching this because of COVID. Perhaps you're watching this because this is what you've been doing for the last few weeks, the last few months, or perhaps the last few years because you're sitting with that past wrong. Have you been there when you're wrecked by your own sin? It's not this sorrow that I got caught. It's this deep mourning that I did something ugly. There is no failure like moral failure. There is no failure like when sin gets us. David wrote this, and David is this dude with this, with this great heart, but he also was a dude of great sin, but he also was a dude that knew a great God. His great heart, like, did you know David was, was yes, the most well-known and the greatest king that Israel ever, ever had, but he was the second king. The first king, Saul, uh, David replaces him because David is said to have been a man after God's own heart. That when, 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 uh, when uh, God sends, uh, uh, says Samuel to look for the next king, and da, 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 oh, there's David with the heart of a king. That was the qualification in the moment was, was not that he looked like a king, but that he had the heart. It was his heart that made him the re that Saul's replacement. David is referred to as a man of integrity. He's referred to as a man after God's own heart. That God himself would send the Messiah and part of the prophecy in the, would be that he would come out of the line, the lineage the, of David, that, that the Savior would be associated with David. Saul, Solomon, his son, died a fool. And part of dying a fool it said that he didn't have the heart of his father, father that wholly followed after God. David had a great heart. He's known for that. 
He has that reputation, but, but he's also a man, like we said, with, with this deep, deep sin, this, this, this other side of him almost, like, like this, this after God, but then like he's living in a broken world. And so there's this one moment where, where, he's, where, where it says that all the kings are off the battle. It's kind of like the season of war. And, and David is accustomed to being a warrior. He's accustomed to going out there, but, but he's, he's kind of later in life, midlife crisis, I don't know, but he's, but he's complacent. Everybody else is off fighting, but David, the warrior, is in the palace taking an afternoon nap. He wakes up, goes out to the balcony, and sees a naked woman bathing. Instead of looking away, showing her that respect, (laughs) he gawks, sends people to get her, takes her, sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. And then through a various circumstances, he commands her husband's death. Via his leadership and his command, he is an adulterer. He's a murderer. You could look at the Ten Commandments and say, hmm, he broke half of them in this instance. We're looking at this psalm and we're seeing that, that, that David has, has every right to be punished. He has every right to be confronted. And this is what happened. Like the, the prophet Nathan comes and he confronts him. And, and David writes this psalm. He writes this prayer. And, and the fact that David is even praying, like, can't we just pause and say what? Like that in and of itself is something awesome and glorious. And, and like, like mind boggling and mind blowing. Like, like David is praying because you and I, We know moral failure. And we want to run from God. We want to run from church. We want to run from God's people. We want to run from the word of God. But David David knew the closeness that he had with God and he he wants it back. He's not running away from God. He's running to God. He wants the, the closeness back. He knows that his sin has destroyed the relationship, but he wants it back. Nothing in what, we're, that what we've read just now in those first two verses or what we're going to read is David casting blame on God. Rather, it's ownership and it's a plea filled with hope for forgiveness. How do you and I respond when we've experienced a failure, a moral failure? Do we try justifying it? Do we try wording it in a way where our ugly sin just sounds a little less ugly? Do we try rationalizing it? Or in today's, do we just try redefining it so it's, well, what is sin in God's eyes? And we're going to redefine it so that we're going to say it's not sin. Or do we, do we walk around trying to remove the guilt of our sin without actually removing the sin itself? How you respond to failure puts your heart for God on full display. Today I want you and I to see the difference between shame and sorrow. Shame is from the pit of hell, but there is a place for sorrow. I want us to also know that in the place of sorrow, there is this place where there is this person, this deity, God himself, that chases after us and wants us close. I want us to know this old fuddy-duddy word called contrite. (laughs) And I want us to know how to respond accordingly. 
So would you guys read these next few verses with me, uh, verses 3 through 6 of Psalm 51. Again, David's response to, to, to what he had done uh, to this woman and to her husband and, and everything that comes with it. And so he says this, For I know my transgressions, transgressions, my sin is ever before me. I'm sitting in it. I've dwelled in it. Against you and you only have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in my inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David is fully aware of his sin. He's aware of, of how, how, how it's affected others, but in that, in so much, it's, it's affected him to his core. Uh, core. I've done what is evil in your sight. God, you get to define what sin is. You get to define what is good and holy. And, and you get to define what is not good and what is not holy. I do not do define that. I do not create that truth. God has created it. God is the definer of life and the definer of what is good and right. And David is saying... I have broken what you have defined to be right and good. And so you are right and you are just. You, what you do moving forward, God, is just because of what I have done. And the way that David is, say, is speaking this is, and the way he's describing himself in this is, is this is not like a, an indiscretion from an otherwise unblemished life. He, he acknowledges that this is part of his being. This is part of his, his, his making. He's acknowledging that there's been no time in his life that he's not been without sin. He has a long-standing sinful nature. And so he's bringing all that he is as a sinful person to God. He's seeking God for forgiveness, seeking God for cleansing that comes from giving him a, a, our sinful life. I'm bringing all that is wrong with me to all that is right with God. And that is the two parties involved in this process. There is the offender and the offended. And then on the other side of that coin, there is the forgiven and the forgiver. We are the offender but we also get to be the forgiven. So there was a, a moment I asked my, my son permission to share this. And when I asked him permission to share this, it was not only uh, because uh, uh, I, I, I have to share some stuff about him, uh, although mine are compared to me. I also was like, if, I, if I'm going to speak as one that is, has changed his ways, that since I wronged my son, I can't get up here and, and assume that I have changed, he has to be the one to tell me that. And so if he was like, no, dad, you still, you still act like a butt, um, then, then I couldn't get up here with, um, with integrity. Uh, and so, but he gave me permission to share this. And so there was this moment uh, where we're with family. Uh, family was in town and uh, we were out, I think, playing tennis or something. And, uh, and like any father-son relationship, uh, like any family relationship, family knows how to get each under each other's skin better than anybody else. Uh, and so we're out playing and, and doing some things, and uh, and uh, and he's just getting under my skin, getting under my skin, getting under my skin. And and we had some back and forth trying to like 
dude, stop, dude, 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 dude. But getting under my skin, getting under my skin. And, uh, and, and doing some stuff that was wrong to get under my skin. Anyways, so it got to the point where I exploded. I, I embarrassed myself by getting in his face and with ve- using venomous words and a venomous tone. And, um, and, and just, I got right up in his face and I was just, I was livid. And, uh, and so we talked and, uh, and so I apologized and said like, buddy, I, uh, you were wrong, but daddy was also wrong. And uh, I, will all, I promise you to always deal with your wrong, but I promise you to never deal with it again in that manner. The way I handled it was wrong. And so I made him that promise. I apologized to him. I apologized to, again, a second time to him in front of the family in which I embarrassed him in front of. Uh, and then I took a season to kind of sit in that, to dwell in that. Jason, I have a problem often raising my voice to my kids and speaking with, with a venomous tone. And so, so although I apologized and I meant it, I, I kind of also took a season of having it sit before me, uh, journaling about it, uh, pondering about it, and seeing that this was not a one-time thing that I, I should have seen, okay, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here before the explosion. Then I'm, as I'm sitting in it and kind of dwelling in it, I have to see where it keeps creeping up. It keeps creeping up and where I'm inclined to go back to those places. I have to sit in it. I have to dwell in it. I have to get sick of seeing it before I can truly make a a change. And in that, I can't reason it away. I can't make excuses to lighten my sin. I had to see it as a full departure of living as God would want me to live, that that I get to be, like when, when, when my boys and when my daughter see, a, see their heavenly father, they're going to look at their heavenly father through, through the lens of their earthly father. Right or wrong, that, that's going to be part of it. And so I had to see that like I'm, I'm not representing God well. And so I act contrary to that. And even, even as I think about that, like how I wronged God in that, well, well then I can go to another round of excuse making. I, I could say like, well, God, this is part of my surroundings. God, you knew the circumstances. Or, or I could blame my son. Or I, or I could bra- blame my upbringing. Or I could blame like, like current whatever. I could, I could say that I was just, I was born this way. And so, no, but no, it's like God, despite my surroundings, despite whatever excuse I want to make from my, from my past or my present or whatever, it is like God like I'm selfish God I'm self-absorbed God I'm self-centered and God I do life contrary to you and so it's with full understanding that God is absolutely right and I am absolutely wrong that I can go to him with the right attitude and hopefully with the right actions moving forward David goes on to say purge me with hyssop Hyssop, I know that's not a phrase that you use. <laughs> we'll get to it. Uh, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Snow. Let me hear, let me hear joy and gladness. Let my bones uh, that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. I want you. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Truth knows all that is wrong with me, all that is wrong in what I do, and all that is right with God. Like when I truly know truth, truth will show me the depth of my wrong 
But if I truly know God, I will know the, the depth of his love. As I know all that is wrong, that I have committed all that is wrong, that I have done, I also know the truth of, of, of God's amazing grace. And I don't want to move forward abusing his grace, abusing his forgiveness, but rather I want to own my wrong in the backdrop, in the hope of his forgiveness and his love. David is talking about like that I've had the presence of God. Like I, I've had that like really awesome relationship, this flourishing relationship, but my bones have been crushed. I want your presence back. I want that closeness back. He, he knows that his sin has damaged his relationship with God. He wants God back, not punishment gone. And that's the part of a true confession. A true confession will not take away the effects of sin, the impact of sin. David's child still dies as a result of this. When he says, purge me with hyssop, that has a, that has a connotation, a religious connotation for him in that setting that that, that that would be used as a ceremonial cleaning and cleansing and to, to restore the relationship between God and man in that setting. The impact of sin would still be placed, but that purging of hyssop would, would, would kind of bring back that flourishing relationship. Unconfessed sin destroys intimacy. It always does. David wants the beauty of living in the presence of God again, being sustained by the Spirit of God. And in confessing his sin, he's also confessing that, that he needs to be, that there needs to be a renovation that's coming up inside of him, that, that he needs to be changed moving forward. And when he says, like, what, when he acknowledges, what does change look like for David as he, as he tries and thinks about moving forward? It's, it's God, I want, the, I want a pure heart. It's, it's God, I, I want a steadfast spirit. God, I want, I want a, willing, a willing spirit. Like, those are some of the elements to move forward. Uh, so it's, it, yes, it is, I'm sorry. Yes, it is, I have wronged you and, and, and God, but but I want to move forward. I don't want to be stuck here where you and I, maybe we're watching because we are stuck, where we have wronged and, and, we, and we think we know a picture of moving forward, but how could I ever move forward in light of what I have, have done? That season of my life was, was about nine years long where I can remember, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but it's ingrained in my head, I, I, cannot, I cannot forget it. I remember sitting in my, in my college apartment and, and, and literally throwing my Bible on, on the bed and, and yelling at myself, Jason, read it, read it, read it, read it. Like I knew I needed to read it, but my, but my sin and my worthlessness was before me. And I, I, couldn't, I knew I needed to, but I couldn't even get myself to open up a page and start reading the Bible to get back to where I wanted to be in high school and in college, I had messed up before marriage. You can read between the lines. I hated myself. I felt nothing but unworthy. And I kept going back to the sin that made me feel unworthy. Whether it was in some relationships or whether it was when I would go to church, whatever, whatever it was, uh, this, this reminder of my worthlessness was, was kind of always before me. And in that moment, in that season of my life, that chapter, whatever you want to call it, uh, I kept a journal. 
And, uh, and, and here are just a few of the appropriate lines from that time in my life that, that kind of show the depth. And maybe you can relate to this. I wrote, over the last few months, maybe even years, I've been feeling worthlessness. Another entry, uh, I have a horrible past. I know I'm forgiven, but I don't feel it. Another, I'm so stupid. I need to come to grips with what love is. I am a very selfish person. My whole life has been plagued with selfishness, especially in the areas of girl in the area of girls. I am a punk. Another one is that she deserves a pure guy, and that isn't me. I can't change this. It's in my past. It hurts. I want I want to give a girl all of myself uh, someday, but I can't. I simply can't. When Christ says that, that my sins are washed away, they are forgiven, they are forgotten, how can that be? How is that even possible? My past is a plague. I don't deserve a girl ever. It was raw. It was honest. I felt worthless. And I would use my feeling of worthlessness to, to, as an excuse to drive myself deeper into sin, to numb what I was feeling. And so my past sin became a present sin. Have you been there? Have you felt it? I, I used a, 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 past, uh, a past wrongdoing that hurt my relationship with God to be an extended period of my life. And I think the journal entry that, that to me as I read it still rocks me was maybe the hardest thing I ever wrote. Hopeless, lost, confused, lonely, depressed, worried, hurt, seeking, searching, wandering. This is my life right now. For the first time since I was 13, I have thought about taking my life. It ends at a thought, I won't ever truly do that. But as I write, I cry, I'm so lost. I want God, but I don't know how. I don't have the motivation. I feel helpless. I want to cry out to God, but I feel like I don't have heart anymore. I can spit off head knowledge, but do I believe it? I'm lonely and I'm helpless. I wanted my heart back. I wanted to find the real me in Christ again. And I didn't, like, until I, I, did I know how to move forward? Did I want to move forward? I don't know, but like, I was stuck there. Have you been there? And everything I just read, everything I just wrote, everything I just felt, you're not smiling behind the camera. I'm not smiling in front of the camera. Like there are no smiles as I share that. But you know who was smiling? Satan. The enemy loves those feelings. The, the enemy loves where, where he can take sin and where he can drive us to. But God who chases after me wants to drive me forward. Cleansing has to involve confession. That's when I acknowledge what I have done wrong and I confess it to God. I confess all that is wrong with me and I, and I go before all that is right with God. I take responsibility for what I have done. I confess it to him and I confess it to, to those that I have wronged. And on an earthly sense that it might not take away earthly punishment or earthly consequences, but I'm not Confessing my sin to my brothers and sisters in Christ or to, to the world around me as hopes to get out of anger, or out of their anger or away from punishment. That's not why I make a confession. I, I confess my wrong to other people so that I can join God in trying to take what is broken and put it back together again. David goes on and says, 
Then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You, are not, you will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered to your altar. Forgiveness, true forgiveness from God is restorative. David is showing here a clear picture that I'm owning all that is wrong with me. I'm putting it before God and all that is right with God. I am, we, we will push forward. He knows what rebounding looks like. The, the transgressor, the one that, that has done the wrong will now become the teacher the one that needs to be reconciled to his God will now bear the message of reconciliation. The more we have experienced the goodness of God, the more we want to tell others about it. I wish this room was full to say, can I get a witness of God's forgiveness? Because I know in this moment that there would be amen, 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 amen. So throw up a thumbs up. <laughs> I know there are people <laughs> there are people watching that have experienced the forgiveness of God. And we know the beauty of it. I can know all that is wrong with me, but it's but it's in the backdrop of God's amazing grace. But that sounds so easy, right? Like that sounds like like Come on, David did what with the girl? He did what to the husband? Like, this all sounds so easy, right? But, like, true confession and true, to be truly contrite, like, there's nothing easy about it, nor should there be when it required the death of my Savior. Because <laughs> to be contrite uh, means this. If you were to look up the Google uh, and get the definition, it's a feeling or expression of remorse or penitence. It's to be affected by guilt, like, this is something that in your core, it's not just, I'm sorry I got caught and I want to remove that. It is like something ugly came out of me and, and there's an ugliness inside of me. And I'm owning it. I was wrong. I am sorry. I am broken. I don't want to see this repeated. It is, it is, there is sincerity in David's confession, but it's also demonstrated by his commitment to be better moving forward and the actions that flow from that. He, he confesses and he promises. And so forgiveness in a sense is yes, the removal of evil, but it also is that I'm going to follow up by exercising all that is good. And we see that in the closing verses. This week, um, Ava and I kind of experienced something with one of our with one of our kids, and and that's kind of a home thing. But uh, but in that, uh, um, my kid did, did did something wrong, but also like understandable and and whatnot. It was just kind of a reminder that this that this world is broken, and uh, my kids went to bed, and Ava and I were just sitting there like, man, we want to wrap our kids in a bubble. <laughs> um, like having kids in the, in the brokenness of this world is, there's a challenge that comes to that where when we're sitting there, like they're off to bed and I'm like, where's my little girl? Where's my little boy? Where's my little boy? Like, 
like they're growing up. And, and sin is a reminder sometimes that they're, that they're growing up. And I just want to put them in a bubble. And we woke up the next morning and kind of had our morning time with Jesus. And when we were both praying, it was that, that same thing dominated our prayer of just like, I want to wrap them up. And like, my sweet little boy, my sweet little girl, like, I, like but I can't. I can't protect them from the brokenness of this world forever. And like, think about this, like you might have kids or, or you might, you are somebody's kid. Like I'm preaching this and I have a mom and dad that, that will be watching this. And I have grandparents that will be watching this. And, and think about what I've said earlier in this sermon, like, they, they live through that season of my life and they're, they're hearing their, their little baby boy say some non-baby boy things that he's done and like the ugliness of what I have, have done. And my parents could never protect me from the ugliness of this world. They wanted to like all good parents, but they couldn't. But what they could do and what they did do was they introduced me to the great forgiver and the great restorer. See, all people fail, but few people know the amazing grace of my Jesus. I can't shelter my kids, but I can, I can help them to know the depth of their wrongs are but a droplet of the ocean that is God's amazing grace and his amazing Love. You see, this psalm combats all that Satan would have us feel in the midst of all that is wrong with us. See, in, in, in this psalm, like when we, when we have morally failed, like we want to say, I am useless. But this psalm reminds me, no, I will teach your people one day. Where, where, I, where I want to say and I want to feel I can't be forgiven. It's going to God and saying, God, cleanse me. It's this reminder that I, I want to say I will earn my way back into his good graces. That's legalism. That's religion versus no, I offer to you a broken and contrite heart. It's walking around and living with this feeling that I suck, I'm worthless, to saying no, Lord Jesus, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's a reminder here, now, to you, wherever you are, that the Lord wants you. He wants all of you. He wants your sin. He wants your brokenness. He wants your heart. He wants you. And so what do you give to him? What do you have that he wants? And when you know that you have failed, when you know that you will fail, here's the big thought for us out of this is that God's heart loves a contrite heart. God's heart loves a contrite heart where I'm broken where I'm owning it, I'm going before him and saying, all that is wrong with me in light of all that is right with you, I give it to you. Thank you for being all that is right. So David dies, a successful man in God's eyes. But he didn't have perfection. He had, he was, he had contrition. He, he was contrite. <laughs> because of his faith in Jesus Christ, he didn't experience a, a defeat, a grand defeat, um, because he was contrite before God. He, he gave God his, his broken heart, and God let God put it back together again. Because of the grace of my Father, I can give him all that is wrong with me in light of all that is right with him. So is there, an, is there a wrong that you need to own through confession? 
I've seen uh, my earthly dad broken as I am broken. I've learned great things from him. We both played college uh, tennis, arguably at a pretty high level. And uh, uh, my dad has a technology corner, as he will say, and I have a technology corner. Uh, We share the same love for sports uh, and the right sports teams, and that's all important stuff. But my dad, like me, is flawed, just like my boys have a dad that is flawed, and my daughter. (laughs) But perhaps the greatest lesson that I've learned from my dad is not the right sports team or how to play tennis uh, or whatnot, the greatest technology to take advantage of. Those are not the lessons that I take away from my dad. The lesson that perhaps I take away from my dad is own your wrong. And and something that he would always say is like, own your 1%. That even if you're 1% wrong, you own your slice. And that if you're, to use David's words, if you're truly contrite, you don't, you don't own your 1% and now accuse the other person of their 99%. If, if you just have 1% wrong in the great picture of things, like you own your wrong because it was wrong and you own it. You don't, you don't put it on the other person. Like somebody else gets to worry about the 99%. Somebody else gets to own that. Somebody else needs to act in that. Like that's not your responsibility. <laughs> your responsibility, Jason, is own your 1% and don't focus on the 99. Focus on what is yours to focus on and what is yours to own. Own your part no matter how big or small. And so there's three confessions that I think you and I need to think about as we close out our time. There's a confession of faith, which I'm going to close with, and we'll get to that in a second. There's a confession uh, of my sin to man, uh, and this is how we pursue community. If there should be any entity in all the world where the broken of the broken of the broken can come in and experience the love, the grace of a community being used by God to help put people back together again, shouldn't it be the church? We're not looking for the perfect to walk through our doors. We're acknowledging we're all broken and let's together by God be put back together again. Shouldn't there be any entity in the world that, that man, like uh, I wrong you, you wrong me, and, and I can own my wrong and, and, and you, can, you can experience grace and forgiveness to, to extend that as Christ has, for, has extended that and vice versa, that I can extend forgiveness and grace. Like, isn't that when we say pursue community as one of our values here that every Christian should be pursuing a community that's encouraging to their faith? It doesn't mean that we're going to live in a facade of a holy uh, nirvana, perfect community here on earth. Like, no, there, there's some crap that goes on But here is where we get to own that together and be like our Jesus and move forward. Healthy community knows how to own their stuff and confess their sin before the people that they wrong. And then there is that confession of sin to the Son of Man where we we acknowledge to God that I've never been perfect. (laughs) And this is an extension of who I am and I am sorry before God. That even as a Christian, I still have to go before my God and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so my challenge for you this week, and perhaps in this moment, perhaps uh, it's sending a text message to set up a conversation. Perhaps it's turning this off. You're a Christian and this has brought up some stuff and and you, you need to remember that you are clean, that you are forgiven, that in Christ there is a way to move forward, that you just need to sit and have some time with Jesus to restore you, to push you forward, and not let Satan own the day. Let Jesus own the day. He's already conquered the grave. Praise God for that. 
And so maybe it's, again, reaching out to an individual person. I have wronged you, spouse. I have wronged you, child. I have wronged you, co-worker. I have wronged you, fellow brother or sister in Christ. I, I have wronged you, and I'm sorry. I need to own that. Do it. Maybe it's pausing and going before God and saying, God, first and foremost, as a Christian, man, I know better, and I did this. I am sorry. But those two things are all well and good. But, but if there's no confession of faith, that's where the, that's where the heart gets engaged. That's where, that's where our heart for God starts. It starts with a confession of faith. <laughs> you want to live a successful life, write it on the tablet of your heart. It's, it's, it's letting God be on the tablet of your heart. It's letting God's fingerprint be on, on your life. And, and for that, I want, I want you to read this verse um, from 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 20 through 21. That, and this is where I leave you to implore you. If you've never confessed uh, before God uh, a confession of sin, but a confession of who he is, here's what it looks like. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, uh, for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be what? Reconcile that there is this gap between you and God. There's this chasm. There's this, there's this, like, you and God are not on good terms. And so to be reconciled, to be back together, to be made right, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might, 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 might become the righteousness of God. So what that verse shows me is that God became all that is wrong with me. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin. So there was this pocket of time where all that was wrong with humanity was put on God. He wasn't wrong, but he became wrong. Having lived a perfect life, He's dying on the cross as man's only hope for reconciliation because he's the only one that could be the perfect sacrifice. How can the imperfect die for the imperfect? No, the perfect died for the imperfect. And in that moment, all that is wrong with humanity, of which I am included, was put on Jesus. And then when we place our faith in Jesus, that same process then works in reverse. All that is right with God. <laughs> Gets put on me. I confess that the perfect son of God died for all that is wrong in Jason Coash. So that in him, I might become the righteousness of God. So we're going to close out our time praying that you could confess all that is wrong, your sin, with a contrite heart, a broken and sorrowful heart that you have sinned against God. But maybe for the first time ever, you're accepting the goodness and the grace of God that he wants you and he desires you. And all those feelings that are from the pit of hell, let them be gone and silenced by the love of my Jesus. <laughs> So we're going to pray, and then I'll, uh, I'll just share with you one more thing that you can do. God, I, uh, I thank you for this time, Father. It's, uh, it's painful to relive uh, in, in my mind my past. But, Father, I'm thankful that now my past is a reminder of your goodness. 
and your grace and your mercy that pushes us forward and that I am not what I once was. That we live in a culture that, that takes what is in the past and wants, to, and wants to crush a person in the present. But Father, you take what was in the past and when it's brought to you in the right spirit and the right heart, you push us forward and help us to change from what we once were. So Father, I pray for those right now that are watching this for whatever reason they tuned in, maybe they don't even know why they tuned in, but you do. <laughs> For maybe it's this purpose right here, to look to you and say, I am sorry. You are right, I am wrong, and I am thankful for the Son of God that died for me. So if that is you, simply pray a prayer like this. God, I am sorry. I've never felt such sorrow for my sin as I do in this moment, understanding now that I have wronged you above all else. I am truly sorry for what I have done and how I have wronged you. In sorrow, God, I ask for your forgiveness. And I thank you for the Son of God that lived a perfect life and died in my place. I thank you that he rose three days later so that death has no power over him and in him it has no power over me. Where my sin brings death, you bring life. Today I believe it and I want to grow in it. I want to be more like your perfect son. And although I know I will never do it fully here on earth, Father, I want to commit to trying and commit to growing day in and day out to take one step closer each and every day to be more like your perfect son. Help me and guide me to be more like him. I commit my life to you. All that was wrong with me in light of all that is right with you, I give it to you. In your name, Jesus, amen. If you prayed that prayer in um, we usually say like, hey, if you're new here, fill out the link below. And if you're in Ocean County, uh, we'll, uh, we'll send you a t-shirt. Uh, here's my promise to you. You fill out an I said yes to Jesus form or if you email info at wellspring.one. It doesn't matter if you live uh, in, uh, in Ocean County or if you're from Hawaii uh, or if you're from uh, wherever. We will find a way to send you one of these Bibles, a journal, and some next steps on your Christian faith. Because what you just prayed... Um, makes you a brother, makes you a sister. Uh, it reminds me that you matter to God. You, even before you said yes to Jesus, you matter to God. Um, but now you're a brother and a sister, whatever it might be. We want to send you this Bible. So get us your address. Uh, fill out the I said yes to Jesus form that will be down below. Uh, and fill that out and we'll get you a Bible, a journal, uh, and some information on some next steps. Uh, so thank you guys for tuning in. Stay warm. And uh, we'll see you next week. Peace.